0: Welcome to Created for Connection, a podcast that explores the ways we become disconnected in life, but how God brings us back into connection with himself and others. In today's episode, we interview Dr. Lance Hawley, Old Testament professor at Harding School of Theology. We're talking with Lance about the biblical book of Job and about what we can learn from Job about suffering and lament. To everyone listening, we're glad you're here. So it was like 65 this morning, and I love that. I love when it dips into the 60s in the morning. That makes me oh, very man.
1: happy. Oh, yeah. I know. It's supposed to be 59, 57 degrees here tonight, overnight wow. low. So I am I love it, too. I mean, I actually really love the fall and winter time, I just I don't know, it's a great season. So yeah, it's it's nice to wear a jacket in the evening time or a hoodie or something like that. I don't know. It makes me think yes. of Christmas.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, so Lance,
1: <clears throat> since Lance is in town, Lance is our guest that mm-hmm. we need to introduce here. Um, Doctor Lance Holly, professor of Old Testament here at Harding School of Theology. Anyways, Lance man it is so good to have you on here we've been trying to we've been trying to get lance on for a while and and given the the last conversation that we had on episode one of season three uh, where we spoke to beverly ross uh, we as we were talking with her about her grief story and um, which lance i think you're familiar with part of that because you go to sycamore view right
2: right yeah Uh, i love that you had beverly on and I hear their story mostly through her son Josh who preaches for the Sycamore View Church but uh been blessed by both of them they they shared about suffering and through their personal experience
1: Yeah and so um as as we were creating the lineup we thought man this would be a perfect follow up episode after Beverly's episode because Lance wrote his dissertation and has written has written has written several books now on the book of Job, and so we felt like that would be a really good conversation for us to have to extract some themes from the book of Job and what it has to say about grief and suffering and loss and isolation and connection, all the things that um, that we really are wanting to focus on today. So we're, we're excited to have you on to talk with us about some of those things yeah. today. Well, thanks for having me.
2: I love talking about Job and just um, excited for the conversation, what you all are doing with connection, how that relates to Job.
0: Absolutely. So Lance, um, when we were in school, I, I remember that you were interested in Old Testament theology, even then in the, in the year that we overlapped yeah and so, but I am really curious. Uh, i I had heard kind of where you had you were headed in your studies and what you've what you focused on. But what was it that drew you to writing and studying the Book of Job?
2: Yeah. um i I did have kind of an early interest in in Job. even I went to York College for my undergraduate degree, and there's a Michael Card song. he's like a really, you know, Christian musician back in the day, Uh, on Job, that just sort of sparked my interest, and I sat down and read it, and um, it's always found it fascinating, especially, I would say, God's speeches, chapters 38 through 41. On the one hand, I didn't really understand them, still don't in some ways. Um, On the other hand, they're just fascinating and beautiful, and so I spent my time in my wisdom literature class, when I did my seminary degree degree here at Harding School of Theology, on those speeches, I wrote um, wrote on those speeches, and then and did my when I was doing my PhD work at the University of Wisconsin. You know, I still knew that I kind of I knew that I wanted to that I could spend my life on studying Job, and it just never got boring. Still captivated. I mean, being in my wisdom literature class in my PhD program, and I thought I understood the book, and like day one, I realized, oh, I I don't understand this book. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's like a it's kind of like a puzzle that I keep coming back to. Um, anyway, that
1: led me to to writing on it. So Lance, just real quick for our listeners, can you can you give us a framework to understand the book of Job as far as you know where it's like time period and and what purpose is it serving in Israel's history? Because I think most people will read stories from the Bible and go, okay, this is there, there are the literalists, right? The people who are like, this is a this is a an actual story. That definitely happened. Job is a historical figure, and then there's those that are like, no, it's completely metaphorical. But you know, how is Job written? Because when we just read it in English, there are things that we miss, right? And yeah, yeah, we always miss something
2: in translation. That's why everybody should go learn Hebrew. Uh, um, I, yeah, I think it's important actually to to understand. kind of literature Job is because it leads us to the right questions and away from maybe some distracting types of questions. We don't, in my view, there's lots of signals from the very beginning that we, that this is a kind of a, a hyperbolic situation of the most righteous possible person experiencing the most horrific possible tragedies. And there's no doubt that Job is suffering innocently. There's, you know, and the, and the book tells you right away, hey, this is innocent suffering and that God's involved with it. Um, I, I maybe one way of understanding it, Job, is something more akin to a thought experiment. Uh, we don't we shouldn't read Job like we do Kings. Um, for whatever kind of history the book of Kings uh, is, um, Job is not that Job is meant to invite readers into kind of to observe Job's tragedy and then to dialogue with Job and his friends to sit with God in hearing from the whirlwind. And then also to puzzle it out at the end, not all the questions are answered. I think it's a book to walk with more than to to, um, figure out in any kind of historical sense. So it's not clear that it has much of a role in the kind of the national story of Israel, but it's there in our Bible. And uh, I mean, there's other reasons for reading it that way, but um, it tends to give us clues to leading us into deeper questions. Like in chapter one, when the accuser asks, does Job fear God for nothing, for no personal benefit? That's a question that we ought to be asking ourselves. Like, do we, do we fear god what if there were no benefits in it you know would you still want to serve would you still want to follow would you still be faithful so it's it's raising those types of questions that are i think the right questions leading us away from you know kind of historically oriented questions
0: was it questions like that that really drew you to job you said you were particularly interested in yahweh's speeches at the end was there something mm-hmm. that just felt like I really I want to know more about this what is it that that grabbed you and stirred you to really press into it
2: yeah uh it's a lot of I think it's hard to remember some of some of that but you know the beauty of the divine speeches he's talking about the natural world always been drawn to creation and uh, I mean everything in that speech is pointing job to the wild things um whether it's the storms, or the storehouses of hail or all of these wild creatures or the super beasts behemoth and leviathan i mean these it's just otherworldly and it's so much fun you know like part of the, the other special interest that i have for whatever reason is animals i'm not a zoologist or anything but just i've always been interested in the the animals of the bible of course, God talks a lot about animals and it makes you wonder like, what does this have to do with Job and innocent suffering, all these other topics that you think the book of Job is about, you know, it, that's what I mean. It's like, it, God overwhelms Job with these, per, this parading, these images, uh, it begs the question of what it has to do with that. To me, that's always been what I've wrestled with, or at least initially and still do like, well, how is this responsible? responding to Job. That's a fascinating question, I think. And it, it relates to our own experiences of Job never knows why he's suffering, right? So in in a lot of ways, when we suffer, we are like Job. We don't know why, but perhaps there's something in the encounter that he has with God and these images
0: that, that address uh, our own
2: experiences with trauma.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You you bring up something interesting there that came up in our interview with Beverly when she lost her daughter. That was one type of suffering that she knew what, what it was. I mean, it, it was a loss and then it was grief following the loss. There was a period when, when she was in the hospital sick, where there was unknown attached to it. But then she also shared with us her cancer story. And there was a whole lot more of that unknown, like what's going on here? What's going to happen to me? Is this, is this it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the question of why is this happening? And that was more our question. Like, you know, did you ever feel like God, why, you know, suffering on top of suffering, but she didn't struggle necessarily with that same way because she really focused on other things. But um, Mm -hmm. I, I, that, that unknown piece I think is really big. And I, we, Kevin, and I have talked about on this podcast some about how it doesn't feel like the church always has done a great job of preparing people for the unknown, for the suffering. And it's kind of like when suffering comes, it just doesn't fit into our paradigm. And so you know, I guess God is, isn't real. You know, I can't believe this could have happened and we, we don't know how to deal with it. Our faith doesn't know, you know, we don't know how to incorporate that into our faith so what's what's your impression right now first just in terms of how um the the american church relates to suffering how how do you what's your take on that uh you know
2: i always think about uh we pray and we seeing our theology like this is what we really believe about god especially when we pray I think if you were going to write a statement of faith about what you believe about God and suffering, it might not necessarily sound like what we pray. <laughs> so there's a kind of a conflict. We might say one thing, but act another way in in our acts of worship and prayer. But I mean, we don't sing lament. And I used to critique that. Um, and I still do a little bit, but I think we pray lament. I would just generally say that I think the church it tends to be, uncomfortable with suffering we don't know exactly what to do with it sometimes of course i mean some churches handle this really well and other churches i think really struggle with it we want to sing and be happy rather than sit with the sufferer i mean it's one thing to for me anyway personally to say that no we need to sit with suffering it's another for for me personally to act as somebody who sits with suffering, and that's a lot harder. I'm uncomfortable with it as much as I think about
1: it. Do you, do you think that that is indicative of like our culture, or do you think that's indicative of human nature? You know, like, does Job point us back to that there's some level of pain avoidance or suffering avoidance that we naturally tend towards? And Job, is Job commenting on that at all? Um, I think the book of Job. Yeah, um, maybe not Job's character, because
2: Job, Job's character does say it pretty plainly that God's caused this, and he doesn't mince words about suffering. His friends, though, in some ways, make light of his suffering. They wouldn't deny it, but they, they, they tend toward, "Hey, it's going to be okay," um, rather than rather than saying Job what God has done to you is really wrong. You know, that's why we I would be pretty uncomfortable with saying that. I think actually our Christian theology can get sometimes, and maybe our hope in uh, what's to come can get in the way of sitting with a sufferer in the moment. Um, I and mean, I don't think it necessarily should, but yeah, I mean, our theology can get in the way. But certainly uh, human inclination toward avoiding pain especially when it's not your own it's really hard to be empathetic and sit with others in their pain
1: yeah you know I because i think when i'm when i'm meeting with people who are in the midst of suffering for counseling or whatever i think it could it's almost shame producing when we carry the narrative that we just live in a society of people that just want to avoid pain rather than it being more part of our nature to try and avoid pain. You know, it's like keeping your hand away from a, a, a hot stove or, you know, whatever. And, and I'm, I guess I'm just wondering does Job, it seems like Job is commenting on that, that we, we do have this tendency to say we shouldn't be suffering. And if we are, there's something wrong and we need to fix it as soon as possible in order to, to get out of the suffering. Right.
2: Yeah. I I think you're making a good point that the, the, I think some people may be more naturally prone toward empathy and um, being comfortable with being in pain and being with other people in pain and others have to work at it. And it's a practice. And We ought not to feel shame about this sort of natural human inclination toward avoiding it. It's just who we are. But then God is calling us into um, sitting with it, even when it's uncomfortable.
0: You know, um, I've heard this preached before, but like Job's friends are most helpful when they're just sitting with him in silence at the beginning. And then they get into trouble when they start trying to explain everything to him about why this happened and what to do to fix it and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it seems like that's kind of that that aspect or that lesson is kind of built into the story too.
2: Yeah, I do. I, I agree with that in part. Like, I definitely think, practically speaking, we probably won't go wrong with just being present with people in in suffering. Uh, although I would, I will say that job wants more than that i think um and they get in trouble when they speak up but and i'm not a defender of the friends but job wants his friends and he'll say this several times basically to take his side and argue his side against god he wants a mediator like right? he even says this several times like i wish that i had one that would be an umpire between me and god and he seems to want his friends be that not just to be present and silent although that would be better than what they're giving him but he he actually wants them to voice his complaint to god and instead of that they're taking god's side because man job is saying some things that are really affronting toward their kind of theological senses but i do think there's a lesson in that that as for those of us who maybe aren't experiencing the suffering certainly you can't go wrong again with sitting with people in in their pain and just being present but perhaps also telling god like voicing or at least even joining in with their frustrations um and saying yeah god do something about this rather than trying to defend god in, in some way
0: yeah i i can recall um doing an alpha course i don't know if you guys are mm-hmm. familiar with alpha courses but it's kind of a intro to Christianity kind of course and had a, a friend that was, uh, uh, in a group that I was part of who was not, not a believer and had really suffered some terrible, uh, things in his life that at first, you know, had no idea that this was part of his story, but when it came down to it, it was this event, this traumatic event of loss that was the barrier between him and God. And I just remember, I think we had gone to like a Dairy Queen or something with another friend and it, just to kind of process what, we, what was going on. And finally, he just is, starts telling the story of loss and of the feelings around that towards God and just the barrier that that had created. And yeah. I, I, I was asking, you know, I'm praying in that moment, like, what, what do I say? What do I do this, in, in this situation that would be helpful? and uh so both me and the other guy and i did feel like this was you know this was a holy spirit sort of thing uh we we did say a prayer and it was the words that came out were just like why god why did this happen what was what how could this have happened you know i I, we know that you you love us but this is terrible how did this and it it was a breakthrough moment for this guy he needed Mm -hmm. somebody else to voice that question with him and it literally was a breakthrough like it was like the wall between him and god came down by us joining him to ask that question and so that was that story just comes right to mind as you're talking about it and how it's important to to come alongside people yeah in that in that pain not to like maybe not challenge god in inappropriate way like in in like blasphemous sort of ways i don't know you tell me what you think but like to to ask the why questions you know how do we how can we talk to God in that space?
2: Yeah, I love that story. I think advocacy uh, for the person rather than advocate. God doesn't need you to defend God. The, you know, like God is beyond. Uh, we can't hurt God, you know. Um, and Job, I mean, Job's not right theologically on some things. God will come along and correct him eventually. But he he is right to pre- to continue to press into God. Like he's, he's, he continues to talk to God. I think that's what he's essentially right about. So Job's like, I I think of a, I have a a story that I always think about with this, where I had a friend who um, she had had three miscarriages and uh, just really struggled with fertility. And she got on Facebook, you know, where wisdom goes to die. Um, (laughs) And uh, she, um, she, she kind of shared with the world, her pain. And you know, Facebook friends. So I was, I read it with interest, and I actually got this here. She, you know, she's wondering about God's goodness. That was her quote, uh, not about whether God existed or anything, but is God good, right? And then she said, and this is a quote from her: "God knows what He's doing." Oh no, no. It, so he, she was frustrated with after saying a lot about her grief, writing about the hope that she had for her child how it was crushed. And then she went on to kind of toward accusation. And that's what we get uncomfortable with. I think the most, but accusing other people for saying dumb things like God knows what he's doing. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. God needed your baby more than you did. Evidently these are things she heard. And then she continued kind of confesses thinking maybe God is still mad at me for that thing I did back in high school like kind of processing theologically retribution and then concludes her post by like, right now, I want to believe that God is good, but all that I can think about him is what an, I don't know if you guys cuss on this podcast, I, but that's what she, what an a-hole you can edit that out if you need to. But uh anyway, uh, uh, it's
1: not editing that out.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's what she wrote um, and she wrote more. And on the one hand, it's like, oh, I would not call God that. That's like a natural reaction for, you know, and but she was voicing her, and I don't think it was an accurate description of who God actually is, but what, what does that person need? She needed somebody to say, yeah, you you have been wronged. And and maybe to ask this, you know, why question or God do something about this, you know, act. And she needs a, an advocate. And I feel like the book of Job is, is leading us there, like in the critique of the friends. The main critique is not theological as much as that they should have advocated for Job, and God will end up critiquing them for that in the end. I, don't, I won't get to the end yet, but those stories hit home, and I feel like that's where they align pretty well with Job.
0: So in the middle of suffering, Job is he keeps heading towards god towards this confrontation with god really but he's not he's not giving up he's not like the the whole line of his wife says just curse god and die which would be i guess just give up you know yeah don't, don't confront i mean you think well that's confronting but job like wants to have it out with god and i hear you saying that god is is um in favor of that God wants that pers- that honest confrontational pursuit.
2: Yeah, I, and Job is really wrestling with it, with it himself because this is new to him and he's like flailing forward is the way I think about it. He's trying this word out or trying that word out and he's just trying to, it's like he's got to have a whole new language for this new experience, which I think is pretty common with people who are just sort of hit in the face with, trauma and at times he sort of recognizes that what he's saying is going to get him in trouble right or maybe even bring about his death and he says my own mouth will condemn me in chapter nine and in chapter 10 he says i'm going to let loose my complaint upon myself in in chapter 13 the kind of famous verse that's usually translated or historically translated yet will i trust him I think I take that a, a bit of a different way. That's in chapter 13, verse 15, where I think he's, he's saying, basically, I'm going to keep on arguing, even if it kills me. I mean, I really think he expects that God to strike him down for what he's saying, but he just like, what does he have to lose? And he's just going to voice it. And he like grows in boldness throughout in bringing even legal action against God, which is sort of ridiculous. And Job knows it and his friends are worried for him and they're saying, whoa, slow down. This isn't who you are. And eventually he just keeps on going with it, that they kind of throw him under the bus. But in the end, in chapter 42, verse seven, when God kind of hands hands down punishment, he's talking to Eliphaz, you know, the one, the, the main friend Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, and he says, you haven't spoken rightly, the preposition there is, to me, as my servant Job has. Usually, about me is the way it's translated. That's that's possible, but I, the way I understand it is that what Job continually does right is a direct address of God. And Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the three friends, never talk to God. They only speak to Job. And maybe there's more to it, but it, in the least— um Eliphaz or the friends are condemned, essentially, um without Job's intervention for not speaking to God on job's behalf. But job is not really rewarded, uh,
1: but he is he's
2: celebrated or at least vindicated for speaking to God,
1: so as you're saying that, it's making me think about you you said what job does right is he addresses God almost as if if you have something against your brother, like in Matthew 18, you know, you go to your brother with it rather than someone else that you involve, that it's right to involve God in the conflict that exists between the two of you, you and him versus, um, you know, just letting the steam off by talking about him behind his back or something like that's the righteous path. You know, and so that's what I'm that's that's what I'm extracting from what you're saying. And I was just thinking, man, what a what a shift from the theological view that most of us carry, I think, in the Western church that we we are truly spiritual when we take suffering with a smile. Right. Right. But that's not what Job is telling us to do. It's not saying if you're a good old Christian boy or Hebrew mm-hmm. boy, you know like you're gonna you're going to be totally okay with whatever God does to you because it's his world, his kingdom dominion and he can do as he wishes and we just have to get our own heart and mind into a better place with that so that we'll we'll find joy in it, you know. We'll smile yeah, yeah. while we're covered in boils. But that's not Job. No.
2: And I mean, the best expressions of that I know of uh, that are still inadequate in in a lot of ways. The only part of Job that we sing is Job 1, 21. He gives and takes away, at least we as in the church that I'm a part of. I don't know if you all will know this song, but um, he gives and takes away. Blessed still, I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And there's I think there's a lot of truth to that. Even that though, do we really believe that? I mean, we tend to celebrate for what God gives, but I don't know that we critique God for what He doesn't give, very comfortably or for taking away. You know, it's, and that's like the the mildest confession that we have in Job, and it's about the only area we're ready to go. And it's I think it's an important expression, but yeah, Job never says. Well, he refuses. He, he, at one point he considers, well, maybe I'll just kind of ignore this and sweep it under the rug and move on. That's kind of what his friends want him to do to take up the kind of the language of recovery rather than their language of despair. And
0: he's unwilling to do that. At least it witnesses that we can do that too. A little earlier, you talked about lament and how. That's not, you talking about the songs that we sing reflecting our theology and that lament songs are not often, they're not often sung and there's not many lament songs. Could you speak to that a little bit? And even for people that are not familiar with the word lament and what that sure. even entails, what what does that mean? And then what would it, what would it look like to practice lament?
2: That's a good one. A good question. Lament. Um, Another word for lament is complaint or maybe protest. And a lot of the Psalms at least have elements of protest. Some are like the the example of a Psalm that is in expressing despair is Psalm 88 that ends with um, darkness is my only friend. You know, um, there's no uptick. There's no hope. It's just Despair. Protest, though, also involves like calling God to action, calling God to do something, to intervene, uh, to make make it right. And there's a lot of Psalms that have that expression. And there's a there's a lot of faith involved in lament, and it's an expression it's an expression of, of God's ability to make things right. Um, at the same time, and a frustration for not doing so how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 13. You know, there's, I think it's a really important uh, question to think of as churches, as people of faith, like how do we engage with this? And I'm not so sure that we, even ancient Israel would have sung these all the time. I, I used to think, well, we need to have more songs that are, you know, singing lament. And um, maybe there's ways of getting at that, like using minor chords or something and there's kind of musically some musically minded people might think creatively about that and would help us out but um even it, even as we think about commune uh, communal prayers i think that's an opportunity for voicing lament that's a little bit easier and more natural but we it's something we do together not just on our own mm-hmm.
1: We want to take a moment and thank Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring today's episode. Wellspring is an initiative Paul launched at the beginning of 2021 that provides people with a safe place to process the experiences they're facing in life. Whether you're going through challenges or transitions, or if you need a safe group of people to share life with for a season, we invite you to join a Wellspring Process Group. I've been in one of these groups and it's been a life-changing experience for me. I encourage you to go to the show notes right now and contact Wellspring to find out when you can join a process group for yourself. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, that we miss part of where some of the body of of our fellowship is at any given point in time when we're corporately together. Right. So uh, by not giving voice to those that are walking in suffering, because we don't, we don't want to feel bad. It, it creates a dynamic of isolating those that can't get to the happy place. Right. And, and we've been, we've all been in seasons like that before we've been in a, a place where we weren't feeling deeply connected with God, or, you know, we were, we were anxious or worried about something in our lives or, you know, whatever it might be. And even from like a counseling perspective, you know, neurologically, when you do fMRI scans of people, when they can put words to what they're feeling, it, it actually shows a change in their brain functioning in a way that, they are there. It's an expression of healing by, mm-hmm. by labeling as specifically as they can with their feeling. So when we're missing a portion, a portion of our churches corporately, because we don't want to feel bad, it, it would be kind of like knowing that your wife was really having a hard time. She was sick and, you know, like depressed and you're just like skipping through life and pretending like it's not even, ha- not even there. We don't, we don't do that, but yeah. in our churches, we tend to, right? Yeah.
2: It, I mean, just the corporate age, we tend to lament alone and, um, that's, or maybe in the best of cases, um, uh, with a, a few others. And, um, and I think that's oftentimes like, that's who we want. We want to be with a few others and lament together. That's good. But yeah, I think about this with, with worship or in, in our co- corporate times, often we may not be feeling, we might be feeling like everything's great in life. Like uh, personally, you know, I don't read Job or, uh, I mean, I've, we all suffer and all suffering is suffering, whether it's big or small, but you may not be in a, in a place of distress, but you can participate in lament communally for the other, uh, for your brother and sister, you know, for the health of the community, giving voice to that, just as sufferers regularly give voice to praise uh, there. That's usually the way we go. We ask sufferers to join in our praise rather than people who are feeling pretty good about life to join in the lament of others. Uh, But we need to find ways to, to communally lament, to give voice
0: to how those in our churches are feeling. I think that's really important, Lance. And I kind of want to sit with that for a minute first, because, you know, our podcast is called creative for connection Mm -hmm. and to think that our suffering often culturally, at least it, it does isolate us and to think about what is it like to come alongside people in lament and protest and in that darker spot, and that's a type of connection that we need, but we don't always ask for, or those that are, uh, that are being asked to come alongside somebody. It's very uncomfortable. And so, it, you know, like you said, we kind of have to train ourselves up a little bit, get up our courage to step into those places that are painful. Mm-hmm. And I guess a question I have for you from that is there, there's the part of me that says, you know, when, when I believe that when when I am connected with God, um, and I'm, my trust in God is building and I believe that he is good and Mm -hmm. I'm wanting to let that shape my life. How do I integrate this other, this other side of there's bad that happens to me and other people. There are Things that shouldn't happen that are still happening, and it's okay to be really upset about that and to to shout out to God those feelings of upsetness. So I, I want to integrate yeah. the the trust and the good uh, the goodness of of faith and who God is with that reality of of pain. And I don't know is there anything that you can speak to about how do you how do you bring those together? So I want both really
2: right. Uh- that's, I think it's really challenging um, because we, we feel right. We feel, we don't feel both of those at once. Um, sometimes though, when we're feeling pretty good about life, I mean, I was walking around the block with Laura and my wife yesterday. And I said, things are good. Like we have three children. Things are pretty good in their lives. I was just recognizing that. And, um, and, and that's how I was feeling. But to like, set that aside you, uh, to walk to to walk with somebody in their pain you can't like i don't think you can hold on to both of those at, at the same time really this is where empathy i think goes a long way of you know i think of like Brene brown's illustration of getting down in the hole with somebody you can't be at the top or you can't not get in the hole with somebody or go down into the pit with somebody and be genuine and, and helpful in walking with them. You really have to set aside the goodness. It, you don't set aside the goodness in your life, but set aside, it's like you wanna feel with them. Um, I mean, for people like me, I have to work at that. And sometimes I have to make it selfish. Like what if that, what if that was my child that was you know, suffering with cancer? Like wow. how, how would I feel? And that, and that works for me, it helps me help them. And communal lament, I think, does call us into that, give us giving us words and feelings that correspond with with sufferers.
0: I wonder if there's some fear involved, coming from the angle of having to give up uh, a place of maybe certainty or step into the the the, the pit for a while, the hole, mm-hmm. um, the darkness that somebody else is experiencing, because maybe. Maybe our own faith has been precarious at times. You know, we're like, I'm I'm trying to hold on to the good here. I'm trying to I'm trying to stay positive in this and to let go of that and to step into this. What if I lose what if I lose my my faith in God's goodness if I go there? And and so maybe maybe some of us, whether we realize it or not, are are fearful of um letting go of that yeah. in, instead of having this sense of, oh, it's it's gonna be okay. Earlier you said. God can take it. He doesn't need to be defended, <laughs> and then some sense of security of like you know, God's okay. Me and God are okay. God's not. He's not gonna kill me for going into this place. Um, yeah. He's not gonna say no. You can't come back to be close. You know, up up with me in intimate in intimate places. And so I don't know. Yeah.
2: yeah, fear. It's not fun. There's there's a burden there. Um, I think that all of that keeps us from moving into the places of darkness with people who are experiencing it. Of course, I even as you were talking, I was thinking about like Philippians too. I mean, what's the cross, but God himself moving into um, the pit to be with us, like this kind of vulnerability. There's a real joy, I think, when we actually do walk in those places with others.
1: You know, I was sitting here thinking, too, that something like anxiety, you know, like I think about a bad feeling that people will consistently experience. Most people think that the best way to address anxiety is to avoid it or to push it back. Hmm. But in reality, the best way to deal with anxiety is to let it in, to, to not try and push back against it. Because the more you push it off, the the more you try to avoid the thoughts, the more those things happen, the stronger the, the emotion attached to it gets, and the stronger the sensations and feelings in you know in your own body, right? Yeah. And so that's cyclical. So the avoidance just makes it repetitive. And i I was thinking that it's possible that you know, in our avoidance of Lament in the church that we're actually in our attempt to push it aside, it also is cyclical. You know that we are by by shoving it off, we we just make the need for it even more profound.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, we rehearse our faith a lot. I mean, if we think about the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, it's kind of where language matters, right? And and if we incorporate lament. Even just personally learning the lament psalms praying them out loud just try that and see what happens it's like we learn a language that we need it's like a resource that we're cultivating for when times are bad or when you're going to walk with somebody else in the pit
1: i would imagine that it would feel really clunky for some of us at first though just trying to trying to wade our way into those waters Cause I've never, I've never spent, I mean, I have cried out to God when things got tough, Mm -hmm. but I've never personally practiced lament as part of my regular time with, with the Lord. It's always like, how can I get as far away from bad feelings as possible? I want, that's what I want you to do for me, God. I want you to, you know, that that's why I'm here. I'm showing up because I want to benefit with a, with this, Holy Spirit tingling that I walk out with and I'm ready to face the world. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I would do. What What do you do when you lament? What does that look like? What does Job have to say about lamenting and what it looks like? Uh, I think it's really challenging.
2: I mean, I would start with the Psalms and not Job. Job goes amp- is amped up, um, like as far as taking on language, but trying to pray through the Psalter. I mean, I remember reading the Psalms for the first time when I was a college student and I underlined in my Bible um, the lines that were like, oh, really good to me. And if I look back on that Bible, I feel such shame because (laughs) it's all about the praise and the goodness. And, you know, there's a lot of like break the teeth of my enemy in there. And I'm so lonely, you know, like, or how long are you going to, it just wasn't in a place where I knew what to do with that. Um, but I think to I think it's learned, and even now though, when I, you know, uh, even with my classes and things, I'll try to lead us in a prayer, uh, pray the Psalms, and it's really difficult to voice the language of the Psalter, the Psalms. I think it's important to recognize too, though, that th- there's like a theological dissonance that I have with some of it. But it's a, important, and this is true for Job, that to recognize these as expressions of the human condition this is where I'm at. It may not be theologically correct. I mean, we read the Psalms, we don't shouldn't just read it for to know about like what God is like. That's part of it. But to, to have words to commune with the Lord and uh, we need, uh, yeah, it's just learned. I think we have to kind of force ourselves into it. Maybe writing, writing a lo- is a little easier than speaking because I'm so quick. And because of the hope we have through Christ, and the belief that we have that God can intervene to say, I'm so to give thanks. I'm really quick to give thanks. <laughs> Which I, you know, I don't want to be, I'm not apologizing for that, but we need to sit, let especially for those who are lamenting, we need to sit with the lament.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things we've talked a lot about on this podcast is that we were designed to be in the present moment. And it's when we're in the future or the past that we start to really get in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And even moving too quickly from the present because we want to grab hold of good feelings that like, like, I'm gonna, you know, I this all sucks, but I'm gonna praise you, God. You know, that is, it's pulling us to to a potential future reality that we aren't certain of. You know, and so to stay in the present means to identify what I'm feeling and what's happening with me right now. And that's important. I mean, I think that's an important part of learning how to really live as a human being in this world, you know, to to be fully present with yourself and fully present with others. And so, like, I've had clients who they'll write prayers out and they'll talk about how terrible things are. And then, and then they'll move straight into, you know, but, but God, you're going to fix all of it, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, you know, I'm so grateful to who you are. And I know that you're so big and I love you so much. And I'll, I'll even in those moments say, Hey, let's, you know, let's stop short of that. And let's work with what are you experiencing right now?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, a lot of the Psalms do have some sense of future in them even though they're lament like it's i like the it's usually about waiting i'm waiting for you god there's still like the sense of pre- here i am in the present and i know that you can do something it's not always i know that you will do something hmm. um but it's i'm gonna keep waiting and there's a lot of faithfulness in that and it's kind of like jesus's disciples with after he's being bizarre and talking about eating flesh and blood and he says are you gonna go somewhere too? Are you going to leave too? And it's like, well, where else are we going to (laughs) go? You know, that is, there's a lot of faithfulness in that. I mean, of course you have the words of life, right? There's a good reasons, not just throwing his hands up, but uh, to me, that's, it it is important to uh, God is the God of the present, not just the God of our future, the God of our past, but he's right here with us
1: now, um, sitting with us in our grief. And And I didn't mean that. I'm sorry, but I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to say that we shouldn't, go to that place, but I think we shouldn't go to the place of praise too quickly. Oh, yeah. And I like the, and I think the waiting idea really speaks to God's presence being the gift versus what he's going to do for us being, being what we're anticipating.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, just to bring it back to Job for a minute, part of the reason, you know, what ends up happening in the book of Job is God shows up in a way that he never does in the rest of the Bible. He speaks, these are the longest speeches we have directly from God. And but he shows up in a storm, which it's hard to know how to hear God when he shows up, but it's dangerous. Like there's threat. Job in chapter nine, Job thinks he'll, he'll die if he encounters the whirlwind. He doesn't die though. And in some ways, like God shows up to teach and to lead and instruct and to console. He's not necessarily like buddy, buddy. But there's something to be said for uh, at least Job's reaction afterwards in chapter 42, verse five, I've heard about you with the hearing of my ear, but now now I've seen you, Uh, I have seen you. So he's experienced the radical presence of God. The presence itself, I think, is um, a big part of how, why Job experiences consolation or not really comfort but newness but then also i think the content of the speeches matters for him M- moving on um moving on is not the goal though like he he's unwilling to to move on as much as his friends want to but what, what it essentially jars him out there is the kind of yeah the, the radical dangerous overwhelming sublime presence of god and I do think there's something to be said for people who are experiencing trauma and suffering to like really encountering God and seeing what happens uh, when the, when we walk into God's presence.
0: Yeah. I I'm thinking of somebody that might listen to this episode that doesn't know you Lance, or doesn't know um, Kevin or I, but may, maybe they listen to it a year from now. Maybe they listen to it. I don't, you know, podcasts kind of hang around and you never know when somebody's going to hear this. And so if, if there's somebody that's listening to this and is in this moment of, of suffering and waiting, do you feel like we can say to them, like, wait on the Lord, God will show up. Um, I think you can
2: confidently say that good things happen when we wait on the Lord. I guess it means what what depends on what we mean that God will show up. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to recognize too that as much as I believe that God does show up, there's a lot of Psalms and scriptures that lead us, that struggle with the absence of God, you know, wake up God. And that's a real experience. A lot of people who suffer, always suffer. And that's part of life and the bible doesn't necessarily help us diagnose the book of job doesn't help us know why we're suffering but there is something to be said about that god works when we yeah god shows up in in a sense not necessarily to end the suffering but to there's something that happens when we recognize the presence of god god is near yeah. just
0: about yeah. how we experience that yeah i i think I think that's helpful for me. Um, it's helpful to think about, you have to reframe away from the idea that whatever would be the most ideal thing that I can think of right now for my life or that would would be great to not feel tomorrow, for example, that may not be the case. That may not be what it means for God to show up. But yeah. the reality, uh, and and Beverly said this when we were talking to her, is that God said... You can trust me to be true to who I am and to my character, yeah. and that character is faithful. That character is not um, it, it is that the Lord is near. That the Lord is not uh, far away. That He is not like hard to get. In terms of there are those dark nights of the soul where it's hard to see where God is, but yeah. it it's not that that He's going to stay away forever. And for those that seek. You know that these are the words of Jesus: those that that knock and seek find. And I think we we think of that maybe in not in terms of the suffering, but I do think for those that are suffering, I I, I want to encourage them and c- encourage you if you're listening to to knock and to seek, and that means praying, it means lamenting, it means protesting, it means letting other people come near to you and and God drawing near to you in that place and. And I do, I believe that, that God will meet them there. But I think what we're saying is it may not look, it's not going to look the same for everybody, how God shows up in those places.
2: Yeah, no, I, I totally endorse that and agree. And even in Job, God doesn't show up the way that Job, he blows Job's understanding of who, what it means for God to be God. And like, essentially, I think he's telling Job, it's like, yeah, you're totally marginalized but I care about the things in the margins and Job like meets God in a new and fresh way because of his suffering. I think it changes even at the end of the book. He's not the same Job as he was at the beginning of the book. And there's a message that he gets um, about being marginalized. And essentially you're not alone Um, because everything that God parades in front of Job is marginalized or, you know, despised even by Job. Uh, he's pitying all these wild animals, and he's, he's in chapter thirty. He says, "You know, my only friend and companion are the, the jackal and the ostrich. These like wild desert animals that are associated with lament and mourning and lonely loneliness." And God doesn't say, "No, you're not like the jackal and the ostrich." God says, "Yeah." you're like the jackal and the ostrich and I care about the jackal and the ostrich. Right. (laughs) He's like, you know, like Job, I think experiences uh, that God, you know, what he learns here is that God is not the same God that he thought he was. And uh, I don't know that we'll always learn that from suffering, but I do think when we encounter God through lament and in the middle of trauma and walk with others who do that, we, we learn a lot about God. And grow a lot in our faith yeah as you're talking
1: i'm I'm sitting here thinking about um we are teaching on the sermon on the mount and i started thinking about just jesus when he goes through the beatitudes you know so i know that you're a languages expert so you know greek and this word blessed makarios Uh uh-huh I, I didn't know this before we started studying this but apparently that word maybe you can confirm this comes from a the name of the island that they believe the gods lounged on so it was like an island of Mercarius. and so they' so the idea is that they were lounging and eating grapes and being fanned and you know had all of this lush peaceful beautiful environment and they're just at peace, right? That's that's what the word was supposed to conjure up your thinking. Yeah. So it's like happy, relaxed, at ease are the people. And but but what he says is contradictory to that, right? It's like it, it speaks to the people on the margins. So mm-hmm. he's saying, At peace are the poor in spirit, or or the people who are spiritually. They're in poverty spiritually, Mm -hmm. right? Because they recognize their need for God, you know, Um, blessed are those who mourn, who are mourning. So they're going through loss, but so Jesus is taking those two things and juxtaposing them. And it's, it made me think of that while you were talking about how God addresses Job on the margin, you know? And so I just find that fascinating that it seems like Job to, to, to Jesus, you get this, it's a similar theme, you know, that that's boring itself out here to say, if you find yourselves on the margin, you're going to find something deeply profound about God and about yourself. Yeah. God's
2: always concerned with the margins. It's like the, the, there's a, a few constants throughout the Bible, but God being whether it's the plight of the widow or the orphan or the outcast or the foreigner or the stranger from the very beginning god has his eye and it's there in, in fact jesus is um quoting a psalm in psalm 37 um meek the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant prosperity so there is these kind of promises uh that god is going to care for god God's heart is there and the church needs to follow God into, into those places. That's not easy. I mean, it's not natural. Like I think that's what the, that's the work of
1: the spirit. So I, I have been really challenged today and, and blessed by this conversation. And I would love for us to continue as I feel like, you know, all of, all of the guests we've interviewed lately, I'm just like, Oh man, I, I really just want to, get more from you and so Lance I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us and we we're just we're grateful that that it seems like the spirit is is fashioning and forming us in ways that are helping us to think about people and relationships and life and god and in uh in, in ways that are healing and helpful for me, at least personally, as I'm trying to do relationship differently and I'm trying to engage my spiritual life differently than maybe how I had seen things growing up. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful that he's brought people like you into my life who seem to align with that, you know, or, or challenging me. And, um, it's been really good today. Yeah. Well, thanks guys for having
2: me and for the, good work you're doing here. I'm honored to be with you.
1: Absolutely. And so thank you all for listening today. We really appreciate you taking the time to stick with us. And we're excited about um, this current season and and where we're headed with Creative for Connection. So we just appreciate you guys, the listeners who continue to tune in. And most importantly, as we wrap it up today, we want you to remember you are not alone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Created for Connection.
0: Please check out our notes section for helpful resources and links. You'll also find our email address there where you can connect with us about any feedback you have or topics that you're interested in us exploring. Or if you've got a story of disconnection and connection that you'd like to share, please connect with us. Special thanks today to Cheyenne Meadows for providing our music. And thanks to Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring this episode. Whatever podcast service you're using, we'd love for you to follow us there, uh, drop a review if this has been helpful to you, and share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.